stories. Okay. Welcome back, everybody, to the Clerics-Ware Ringmail podcast and vidcast this week, because I've got a special guest for you today, and special in the real sense of the word, not special in the sense of happens to know Taylor on Discord. All right, uh, today I've got a creator, a Kickstarter, and uh, an all-around interesting individual. Uh, go ahead, sir. I'll let you introduce yourself. Oh, man, I don't know if I can live up to all of that, but hey, guys, my name is Josiah Mork. Um, I'm a college student at Liberty University and an avid gamer, uh, founder of Hoodwink Games, um, and publisher of the Basic and Generic BAG tabletop role-playing system. Um, yeah, just excited to chat and get to know you guys a little bit. All right, thank you very much, Josiah, for coming on the show. Uh, you are the first person I've had on whose name is even more biblical than the ones that my uh, wife gave our children. So they got that done <laughs> for you. Uh, so yeah, you're. Let's see. You are, uh, as I understand it, and uh, the reason reason I bug brought you on, you are working on a new expansion for your uh, basic and generic product. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's. Uh, well, I know that's uh, that's the the reason I found out uh, about you. I ran into that particular Kickstarter, and that's I figure why some of my listeners might be interested. Uh, so we'll start right on in. Uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, your. Uh, let's see, what is it? I forgot to write down the name of it. Tell me a little bit more about your is ancient empires. Uh, early empires. Early yeah. empires. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, you're doing good. Um, yeah, so it's a it's a role playing expansion that takes place um, around 1500 BC um, in the area of Canaan. So it digs into kind of what those ancient empires looked like, whether it was in the south with like the rise of the Egyptian Empire. Um, in the north, you have the Hittite Empire. In the east, you have just the early buds of the Babylonian Empire and um, the Assyrian Empires, which were the Amorites. You have um, the Israelites moving up and migrating into the region, getting in conflict with the Amalekites, the Philistines, the Jebusites, um, all of those little sites and ites names that were <laughs> scattered throughout the Bible that no one really knows what they are. Um, so what the manual does is it digs into each of those empires and really looks at kind of what makes them special, you know, learning about their cities. Um, the manual includes over 30 maps of historically accurate um, versions of the cities based on different archaeological data. It digs into all of the major deities of the region. Um, so you have some of the Sumerian deities like Baal and Asherah. You have um, some of the Amorite deities um, like Shamash. You have the classic Egyptian deities, uh, Ra and um, Sobek and things like that. Uh, and then, of course, Yahweh is the Israelite deity. And so it tries to give a really historical account of all of the lore that was happening at this point um, with a bunch of NPCs and kind of plot hooks that you can dig into and tells it in the context of like this cosmic war that was going on between Yahweh and all of these other deities at the time. Um, so it just kind of gives you the information that you need to run this setting a little bit better because there's not a whole lot of content out there for this period. Yep, I, I agree with that. And that's a, a very that one of the reasons I was very excited uh, for this particular Kickstarter. Uh, it, it sounds like you had done a lot of research into the topic. Uh, and I myself have gone on record for... Uh, advocating that Old Testament biblical time frame and uh, you're you're looking closer to the judges period if I remember correctly uh, yep. and let's see and uh, here we are Pro profile about I should you think I would have prepared for this by opening this so I could speak to it intelligently but no I didn't I just have my uh, I have my little notepad list of bag related puns uh, that I can <laughs> So now that I've let that out of the bag, the, the this particular uh, early empires, uh, it's uh, already funded, so we know you're going to move into it. Uh, I am mm -hmm. in for uh, uh, so we're pledged tiers. We got between a dollar and thirty-five, so uh, not too much risk in there. I'm somehow in between two of the tiers. I guess I'm paying in uh, paying in Florida dollars. They're funny money down here, but that's okay. So. I've gone off on a bit of a tirade there. Uh, one of the interesting things that I noticed about the tier pledges is you named them after different, uh, uh, I guess, national, uh, not ethnic, but uh, gr uh, groups, different, you named the different yeah. tiers out of the different groups. And 
that was particularly attractive because that kind of implies that you've gone into a lot of of research about the setting, uh, not, not the setting, but about the uh, about the region and and during that time period. So is, is that just a passion of yours? Is that a uh, something that you dive into in your spare time, or something that uh, you've walked into as part of academia? Um, I guess it was just kind of dabbling in a lot of different directions before I came to this game. Um, you know, I am a Christian, uh, and, you know, I try to dive into God's Word pretty frequently. Um, and I was reading through this period of Judges, and there were there's just a lot of those names that get thrown out of, like, the different people groups. And it's just a lot of information, but I'm always curious about it. And one of my favorite topics that I dug into a long time ago when I was littler um, was the Nephilim and the Rephaim, which are, um, for anyone who doesn't know, they're gigantic, like, mythical-sized warriors of this era here. And uh, they're believed, at least biblically, to have been, like, the children of demons and humanity uh, from well before the even the biblical flood. And then they're just kind of the descendants that became these evil heroes of the um, region there. And that was just such a, it's such a tabletop role-playing game concept, right? Like men with the blood of demons that are giants. And so I kind of dug into that just reflectively as I was reading through the passage. And there was an article on a academic journal that was looking into um, the idea behind giants because it's something very common throughout all lore. And they're saying that biblically the only hereditary family of giants that's mapped out are Goliath and his family that were all from the Philistine city of Gath. And I just thought that was so cool that like there was a scientific academic journal on hereditary health conditions mapping out this supernatural thing. And so with that in mind, I just started to dig into every other aspect of the region. What are the, you know, archaeological evidence of these different cities, you know, looking at like Jericho, you know, we, the first excavations of Jericho found exactly the account that we see in the Bible where all of the walls somehow fell outward, except for one particular patch of the wall, which we know biblically was from Rahab's house, where because she helped the Israelites, then her family and living in that part of the wall was saved. Um, and so it was just something that I was like, it's too epic to not put into a game, but it's also too factual and historical to mess up. And so I just felt like if I was going to do it justice, I had to dig into all of these different, the different people groups, like you mentioned, in the different kingdoms and, and all the fun little facts that really make it so real. Yeah, very cool. Uh, and there's actually, and I will, I will put this, uh, for, first and foremost, I'm going to link uh, to you and to your various uh, media platforms uh, in the show notes, but it's funny you're talking about the the Nephilim and uh, there was. Do you listen to? Uh, there's a podcast. I think uh, fellow's name is Ricky Pope. Uh, Christian Nerds Unite. I think. Oh, I haven't. No, I haven't yeah. heard it. I will. I will link it in the show notes because. Uh, not not two weeks ago, he did a two part interview with a uh, religious. Uh, fiction. So, uh, uh, yeah, that's I think that's the right way to put it. It's Christian fiction, where he, the guy wrote a novel series uh, about the Nephilim, and they talk in depth about the same subject. So that might be worth, uh, you know, if if you find yourself on the toilet for two hours, that might be <laughs> worth your uh, worth a listen. So I'll, I'll link that just for interest. Um, in, Absolutely. In, Thank you. Yeah. yeah. No problem. And uh, again, let's see. Let's see. That's fun. So. You, you came you came into this idea from from the biblical perspective, from the uh, from the religious perspective. Um, mm -hmm. How did you? Uh, and this, this is maybe more personal. How how did you come into gaming in general? Just out of curiosity. Yeah. So um, actually, Foxtrot Comics. Funny enough, I don't know if anybody's uh, <laughs> read them before, but highly recommend. Um, two of the characters, Jason and Marcus, play Dungeons and Dragons throughout it, and it the um, writer just plays on some of the classic tropes of gamers. And as you know, like a little six, eight-year-old somebody, this game that they were playing sounded super cool. Where you got to make up characters and explore dungeons. Um, and so I asked my parents if I could play it, and they said no, <laughs> um, because of the big scare that they, they're in like the 80s and everything, and how Dungeons and Dragons was evil and whatnot. Um, 
And so for a long time, I wasn't allowed to play, but I had this idea of what the game might be like. And so I went through so many iterations of trying to make games based on just these comic strips of like how it looked like it was played. Um, and then eventually in Boy Scouts, I met friends who did play Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and I got to kind of look over some of the source material and watch them play it and stuff. And at that point, I'd already kind of come at it from a certain direction. Um, and then this was probably around when I was like 15-ish. Um, so I year. <laughs> uh, not quite. <laughs> um, I, uh, I got to um, like try and play. And I really didn't enjoy it that much because it was so complicated like there were you know two or three 250 page manuals worth of information i was like this concept is so cool and obviously this execution works for a lot of people but it doesn't work for me and for most of the other high school guys i knew who were impatient and there are a lot of other things you can do it was killer to try and find a group um so i was like okay i can maybe i can do better than this and that's really where BAG came from. Um, it was just this module system of, you know, starting super simple, adding rules, make it more complicated as people get more engaged. And I definitely would not go so far as to say it's better than D&D. I think D&D, as I've grown to understand it, really is the hallmark of role playing. But it fills a very different niche. And so that's kind of how I got into it, was just not being able to play that. And so kind of finding my own way and then eventually filling my own gap of making something that it'll introduce people to types of things like D&D. Well, that's fun. You meant, and I, I did read a little bit uh, about the bag RPG and the, it's described as modular. And I think you, you alluded to that uh, in, in what you were saying. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Absolutely. So when I was looking at the D&D manual, the first thing that hit me is like, man, this is like a math textbook. Like there's so many numbers. And then I was, when I was taking math, I was like, why isn't it taught like a math textbook where you learn the very basic principles until you can do that? And then in the next module, you add more complicated things that let you do more. Um, and so when I was writing BAG, that was really the mentality I had is like, wait, we can start small. Basically, all you need to do is know what numbers to look for on your character sheet and what dice to roll. And then once you know that, and you can add in, you know, magic rules, warfare rules, crafting rules, all that other stuff. Um, and so it is broken into three, like, 10 to 20 page sections that kind of simplifies everything into a gradual slope. So you can start after playing, or after reading, like, the first five pages. And then once you're good with that, you can play everything or, you know, part of it. And it's great, too, because then, you know, if you're a super experienced player who's played, you know, everything from D&D to um, Shadowrun or something, then you can play with all of the modules. And if I've never played anything before, I can play with the first 10 pages. And we're playing the same game, but you're just more engaged because it's more complicated and I'm more engaged because I can understand it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That, that is fun. So I did... Um... It's it's fun. You you mentioned the uh, the march up kind of idea, the the dive in uh, of the big manual, because my audience tends to be more of the the old school crowd. I tend to flavor myself as a, a, one of the old school Renaissance men, so to speak. And there's a it's a movement that kind of strives for the simplicity of the early years uh, of the D and D mm -hmm. game. So it's it's fu funny enough. You mentioned the uh, you mentioned that because. That's speaking to exactly some, uh, some uh, the majority of my audience. Uh, one, uh, folks who are interested in uh, systems and games that are outside of the mainstream D and D, but and you can steal mechanics and pop modules out of. But also the uh, original introductory set for the Dungeons and Dragons game that came out uh, before either of us were born. The uh, the basic set it started with basic. It, that was a 40 page folio and then they released mm -hmm. the expert set which was another 40 pages and then by the by the mid 80s they had extended that out but uh, that was originally a way to get into the game uh, that was a lot lighter uh, than the advanced version which is what got all of the uh, all of the we'll call it uh, bad press <laughs> on the steam tunnels uh, that inspired yeah. the Dexter's Lab ep uh, cartoon episode but the and then uh, but at the same time, too, the advanced game from the uh, before the current edition, so to speak, was still a lot. Uh, 
it looks more intimidating than it is. So there's a, there's a there's a simplicity to it, a flow to it that uh, I think gets gets lost in translation in some of the newer editions. But so it's it's very fun. You mentioned that, so that'll that'll hopefully speak uh, Scout's honor to uh, to those honors uh, to to that audience. So that's funny. You're mm-hmm. an, uh, you're an Eagle Scout, as I remember. Yep, that's correct. Yep. And so that's how that's how you know uh, you can trust this fella to push through <laughs> on the Kickstarter, because uh, if if he doesn't, the the Boy Scouts will come back and steal his eagle. That's not true. Uh, you're one of two Eagle Scouts that I've met. Uh, one of them was my roommate in college. He had to go back and do it when he was 17 because he, I think he quit when he was in like when he went to high school, but he was like f- 15 minutes away from finishing, and he's like, and they won't let you come back in and do it if you're 18. So he had to come back the summer of 17 and finish it out so you're one of two people that i know who've who've achieved that particular milestone so that that's a that's a big deal and congratulations on that so thank you but and more so i understand this is not your first uh trip around the block in terms of kickstarters uh look checked uh just checking around i saw that you had kickstarted the original uh bag product uh, and that seems to have gone uh, pretty well. You want you, you want to speak to your experience in in that regard? Yeah, that was a great experience. Um, so that was what December of 2020, I think, because I kind of finalized bag um, during COVID season. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, nothing else to do. So, <laughs> um, and that was a great experience. Yeah, we had great response um, internationally. Honestly, I think there were over 10 different countries that we had people backing from um, on pretty much every continent. And uh, you know, but it was also a little bit humbling um, because you know, there's a lot of, with every platform. You know, tools that I didn't understand at the time. Um, and you know, just the idea of like engaging, build, building publicity um, for that. I bought my first Instagram ads. They tanked terribly. Um, you know, the, those little things that you kind of trial and error through. And so I was blessed with a great community of people that were interested. Um, you know, we still have some guys that reached out actually for this Kickstarter. We had about a dozen people come back. Um, with their responses from the first one and they were just so generous about the process and everything you know thankfully order fulfillment went well we got everything out on time but it was just a matter of learning you know drive through rpgs uh, complimentary copies tool learning you know what printer is the best what print on demand things you need to do what bleed marks you need to learn and everything um so thankfully i was able to kind of hammer out a process for myself that i'll be able to use for this expansion and uh i've got about three or four more uh in the pipeline that we're working on um so hopefully for those two and keep refining it but it was a great experience just learned a lot that was able to reapply (laughs) yep that's actually pretty cool to hear i did um i did check the uh, comments on that one, like that the messages that had gone out, and while I think some of the shipping did run a little past the projected end date, uh, the fact that it only ran past by like a month is extremely impressive, considering the supply chain restrictions that came up right around right around or right after that time. So mm-hmm. that was a that, that's a hats off kind of moment. That was very impressive. Um, are you using the the drive through again uh, this time around? Yeah, we'll be using drive-through um, for the digital copies, the PDF copies. They just have a great setup over there, um, so I love love using that. And then for the paperback, uh, I've actually been using Lulu, um, which is a print-on-demand and self-publishing resource. Um, we use Ingram for the actual distribution to make it wholesale available for stores and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the order or the reward fulfillment, Lulu is great because it lets you actually print in the home country and then deliver it, which cuts down costs for everybody. Um, so that kind of helps reach out to the international audience a little more. Okay, cool. And that's uh, Ingram Publishing or uh, in ounce for you uh, Imperial types out there. Um, that's not true, I made that up. But... <laughs> See? Uh, cool. That, that's, uh, see, I'm an absolutely terrible interviewer in this regard. But so, are you? Uh, I understand you do. Uh, are you? Uh, are you a solo shop, or do you got some friends got working on this with you? So at the moment, um, I'm solo. Although I've had a, I can't really say that. Um, my friends are my playtesters, my critiques, my editors, my 
I mean, they're, they're everything at this point. Um, but I do all of the art, the writing, the promotion, um, the page layouts, everything in that regard, uh, at least for this project. I do have two contracts with people at school, an artist and a writer, um, for our next project that's actually not bag related. Um, but it'll, um, so eventually we'll be a little bit more than just the one man show, but at the moment, yeah, I, I wear all the hats. Yeah. got growth on the mind that's uh, that's exciting so this um i think uh you 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 mentioned you have an artist lined up for an upcoming project for this project i want to say i saw that you did your own illustration yeah that's right oh that's fun so that's is that that's something that uh you're you're interested in that's something that's uh, pro, uh what's the word i'm looking for that's something uh professional about you Yeah, um, my one of my minors is uh, graphic design, and kind of my focus within that is illustration. Um, so art is my passion. I love branding. I love like logos, um, social media branding, anything like that. But I really like creating characters. And uh, the deities for this project particularly, I was, I mean, I'm sure they're far better artists out there than I am. But for where I'm at right now, I was very, very happy to be able to work on them and how they came out. Um, and you can see some of them on the Kickstarter page, but that's the type of thing that I'd like to keep doing as the manuals go along. Yep, a lot, a lot of interesting art uh, on the Kickstarter page, uh, and kind of shows you the. Uh, presumably, that's the kind of thing that's going into the finished product. Yo, those are Snapchats, or not Snapchats, snapshots um, from more or less the final, the final copies. There are a few tweaks that we need to make, but the art and everything is final. Yeah, you got to be a very good reader for the Snapchat copy because as soon as you pipe it off, it's gone. You have to, you have to buy it again. It's a good business model, though. It's even better than an NFT. All right, so from here, we know that this is funded, uh, we and we know it's going to happen, and we've actually unlocked one of these, uh, your first stretch goal. Uh, do you, let's see, you want to speak to your, your stretch goal, the geography bit, a little bit? Absolutely. So I did a real quick um, Google survey to kind of gauge what people's interests were and what they would want for the stretch goals. And one of the biggest things was just more cities and more information about what there was in this world. Um, and some people mentioned, too, that they were really more interested in like Samaria than they were in Egypt, because Egypt is kind of hyped up and you kind of see that a lot. And so to kind of scratch that itch, this um, stretch goal will dig into Nippur, Uruk, and um, Haran, which is a major Hittite city. And uh, I was able to kind of just do some cursory research before creating the stretch goal. And there's actually really good um, accounts of what these cities looked like, with the exception of Haran. We have to kind of go a little bit more um, creative in that route. But uh, like for Nippur, there's actually a tablet with the exact layout of the city on it. Um, and so this expansion just kind of puts those into the manual, gives you some details about what those major landmarks are, and then gives you a couple paragraphs on what the city is kind of built around, major attributes of the city, major like cults of the city, that type of thing. Cool. And then we, uh, let's see, I'm ch checking at the moment. We are about, about halfway uh, towards your second stretch goal. That is the uh, Code of Nesilim. Now, I don't, I don't know if my podcast reach is wide enough to get us there. Uh, I will be pushing this out as soon as I can, kind of pimping you a little bit, because I'm interested in uh, this secondary stretch goal and hope we can hit there. Uh, let's see, what are uh, the Nesilim and what is the code that we're looking to crack? Yeah, so uh, the Code of Hammurabi is relatively common, you know, the law that the Hammurabi laid down for the Babylonian kingdom. Um, but one of the backers recommended, um, I think Fox Ross is the, the guy um, in the comments, um, he was saying that, like, it'd be really interesting to see some of the other laws. And so I looked, are there other laws? There are. The Code of Nesilim actually is a established code for the Hittites. of what their expectations were. And then the Assyrians have their own. Um, and then of course the Israelites did through the uh, Abrahamic, or not the Abraham, the Mosaic law. Um, and so I really hope that this one gets unlocked because I think it'll be super fun 
um, to include some of these laws in the game. And then you'll know as a player exactly what to expect if you come into a city. So if you go into like a Hittite city and you say, you know, kill this guy that you've been commissioned to kill. Well, what does the law then say has to happen to you as a result? And can you just pay your way out? Can you like, you know, do you have to barter with somebody? Do you have to make a sacrifice at a temple, whatever? And these four ancient laws that we have in tablets recorded, um, are very explicit about the things that have to happen and there are some really weird ones too like i don't i don't remember exactly what it was but there was something about like if you, if you like stole a man's cow or something and you had to be hung on the doorstep of your house and then like buried at its threshold or something weird and like all these just really oddly specific things and so i think it just adds so much realism and so much like tension when you go into the city to then know exactly what the legal code is and it just adds so much reality to being a player in the system um so i really hope it comes together we'll see like you said we're all we're still about halfway to go but yeah and how uh let's how much fun would it be for the players not to have read that in advance and have to go through something strange like that? <laughs> exactly. It'd be a lot of fun for the GM, that's for sure. That's fun. So the the deities section, uh, I, I recall there are 13 different profiles that you've got planned, uh, my favorite of which is uh, Dagon, though that's going to upset the Call of Cthulhu community because they're going to find out that Dagon is not actually a fish. So... Let's see. Do you, <laughs> yeah, uh, if our, he's like the he's like a green deity, if I remember correctly, and the father of the, uh, uh, not Marduk, but uh, Baal, who was then Marduk's dad. But depending on a tradition, so mm -hmm. I've done a little bit of research on this one. Uh, my personal campaign setting that I've been, that I've run for uh, the last long time, <laughs> but the it's it's based on the Phoenicians. Uh, the pro uh, the protogenitors of uh, Carthage and a seafaring uh, uh, version of the Canaanites, which, like you had mentioned, there's a whole lot of support for uh, Hellenic uh, kind of myth. So you you can get your Minotaurs, you can get your Zeus and Poseidon. There's a lot of support for demotic myths. So uh, so Egypt, e uh, you have your Sobeks, your your Ra's, and there's not as much on the in-between mm -hmm. and that that was a very interesting and I, I i settled on what i settled on because it's an opportunity to expand throughout the mediterranean region and to dive into a mythos that not a lot of people know about so mm -hmm. if you if you were to pick out some stuff that you found most interesting kind of diving into these these cultures these religions uh that pepper the Old Testament that uh, the the, uh, the judges and the Israelites would have been surrounded by. Uh, what if you were to pick out something that you learned from all of that that uh, re that's that's going to stick with you, uh, either as a person or in the context of the game? Uh, what what would you say your favorite piece uh, of all of this kind of coming together was? Oh man. Um... I think Bale was actually my favorite to dig into, um, particularly in regards to the Hittites. Bale, there was Bale needed to be the god of hay. Just throwing that out there, Assyrians. <laughs> well, in a way he was. I mean, it was the fields <laughs> and the harvest and stuff. Although I guess a lot of gods had their hands in that pie. Um, but just the idea of like, he had such a duality, like he was the storm god, but he was also like the god of the harvest. And so it was kind of weird to see that duality he was like the the warlord and like the war protector fighting against i think mutt is his like opposite um but he would also like if you read the accounts of worship for him would have his people like slash themselves and so they're like going to war but almost with themselves and it was just really interesting because he was such a permeating deity i mean you see him all across canaan um and, and into Anatolia and stuff. And there's just this weird duality about him that for some reason people really liked and like really got into. But I guess you could say that for all of the deities. Cause like, I mean, some of them, Moloch, you're burning your children and people still did it. But like, <laughs> it, it was it was weird to see because he was almost a, a, just a different form of Yahweh. Whereas he was on the war path, 
Like he was leading his people on the warpath, just with a completely different focus, like very introspective rather than focused on like the people's good. Um, so I think learning about him and really the empires that followed him and stuff was my favorite. Cool. And then being able to juxtapose how he would have, uh, how that cult would have uh, caught on, would have presented itself by comparison to Israel to the uh, Israelite religion coming in out of the out of the forty years. And, uh, exactly. Now, and you you mentioned the uh, the the Moloch and the the Tophets with. Uh, the child burning mm -hmm. on some other podcasts uh, there's been some speculation uh that that mm, i say on other podcasts in the archaeological community i remember when i first had read about that and i thought to myself there's no this doesn't make sense there's no way this can be uh why why did people follow this this cult and then there's some archaeological disagreement. They said, well, we don't actually know that they sacrifice children because, you know, the, the Bible portrays them negatively because they're the enemy. And then the, you're like, well, uh, the Romans, uh, the Romans said the same thing. And the Romans and the Jews didn't get along either. So if they don't, they don't get along and they, they agree, though, that these guys sacrifice. Well, the, Ro the Romans always try to defame and they, they did it themselves. Well, we, we actually uncovered a Tophet, a, a site where there are urns filled with the cremated remains of children. Well, you don't know that those were actually sacred. So the point is, yeah, they did. <laughs> <laughs> they did. This was uh, on our law to chaos uh, spectrum. This is far on the side of chaos. <laughs> so it, it did happen. It's a, it's a dark point in the, in the, uh, in the region. And it's a, this sort of, uh, it, it sets the tone uh, for the history. And, can you speak a little bit to the tone that you're going for uh, in in this? Are you going for for more darker? Are you going for more kind of higher level? Uh, what's what was your goal when you set out uh, for for the tone of this piece? Yeah, so I wanted to make it accurate, um, but ultimately accessible, and that was a really fine line to walk with things like like child sacrifice and Moloch and things because you do see. You know really terrible things happened in this period and were done to people in this period um you know if if you read anything about like the cult of ishtar too in babylon there's some really not child appropriate stuff that happened there um and so i i didn't want to necessarily shy away from that but at the same time i want it to be a game that you know people could teach kids with because it is an intro level tabletop role-playing game um and so ultimately the line that i ended up walking on is labeling these things as evil i mean moloch is historically you know biblically morally whatever metric you want to use just evil it's bad and so it didn't shy away from that but also tried to put it into a context of like the people in that area so you know from what little historical record we have there isn't a lot about him you know, it was mostly the Amalekites that worshipped him, and even the Amalekites there really isn't very much about. And so it was kind of stringing these different facts together with a 40,000-foot view of what might have been the actual thing that was happening there. So, you know, for Moloch specifically, I'll give a little bit of a spoiler, I guess you could call it. Um, but, you know, the Amalekites were originally the first of the nations we read in Genesis, I think it was Genesis, um, somewhere in the Old Testament, early Old Testament. And then the next time we see them, they're these demon-worshipping baby sacrificers. And so instead of digging into like, oh, wow, these are the horrible things that they're doing right now, vividly portraying it, it was more, it's a brief description of they started great. There's a famine that happened. You know, we can see archaeologically there was a famine. We know Joseph's story, there was a famine in the region. Um, we know that the Amalekites lived in the Negev. Maybe out of just desperation, they start turning to darker powers or using more extreme methods to try and have control. And so then that kind of introduces the Moloch mythos with the expectation that there was desperation, there was evil, all of the things you would see with a normal RPG cult. Um, and that's really kind of the mentality that cues up a lot of these issues where it gives the context, it gives the implication that there's a lot of bad things and it labels it as bad without necessarily digging into the nitty gritty details of exactly what was going on. Okay, so you have the, uh, the jet's eye view and allows you to set the tone yourself. Yeah, a little bit. Yep. Perfect, perfect. 
So, yeah, see. Now, this is um, not the first supplement you'd worked on for the, uh, the bag system. I want to say I also saw there was a suburb-related one, speaking of Moloch. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, that Suburville, um, yeah, it was our first one. We actually got that as a result of stretch goal from my first Kickstarter or first successful Kickstarter, um, <laughs> back in December with the base system. Um, and that one, I honestly loved how it turned out. So it's a city, um, coastal U S city in more or less contemporary period. Um, it's been taken over by zombies and it's not like, you know, you're fighting off the horde. It's happened. Like zombies are there cities and ruins um and so the manual comes with it gives you detailed map of the city all of the major landmarks and then it gives you the different factions within the city um and i try to not really not take it too seriously you know this is more of fallout with cartoons i guess style than uh than what you might get in like um oh i don't know I think of another uh, World War Z, we'll say. Um, so it's it's kind of theatrical and just kind of fun and cartoony, and the art style is kind of reflective of that. So you have all the factions, and you have you know different NPCs and different abilities with all of them. Um, you know, I kind of got to draw on some of my own experiences. Uh, there's What's a patrol. Well, <laughs> not quite as much in that sense. Um, but you know, just like uh, there's a church group there. Um, you know, uh, held out in this like big cathedral and. There's a um, a Boy Scout troop, you know, held up in a school, and obviously zombie apocalypse has made them, you know, a little bit different than what you might encounter now. But uh, you know, it just kind of was like, well, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if happened to just these normal things that we see in everyday life? Um, so it, yeah, it's super fun. It's got maps of all of the locations. It's got some special hidden Easter eggs in there. A bunch of named NPCs that you can play with. Um, it's got, there's a skyscraper in there with like 20 levels and it's meant to be kind of like a meat grinder puzzle where you start at floor one and you have to work your way up floor by floor and each one's filled with all, filled with all kinds of booby traps and messed up stuff. Um, so it's really just meant to be a sandbox for people to play around in. How much of the uh, you talking about like maps and NPCs and kind of how, how much of that fed into your, uh, envisioning for uh, early empires a lot of it um i really had when i started on suburbville i really had to figure out what kind of expansions i wanted to make for bag um D is blessed with such a big community that they can have lore books and item books and you know campaigns or whatever but i needed to figure out what kind of expansion i was going to do um, and I thought about, you know, just doing lists of names and items or, you know, lists of abilities or whatever, and didn't really love that. I didn't really love the campaign idea either, because it's lots of detailed info and it kind of pigeonholes you into a certain story that people might not really want to tell. And Bag really is about telling your own stories. It's a system, or a setting generic system. Um, and so I decided more on the sandbox world setting, where I'll give you all the locations, all the people all the tools you need to tell your own awesome story. But at the end of the day, it'll be your story in this location. And that's really the mindset I took into early empires too. Yeah, yeah very cool. And I noticed too that you're introducing a new uh, mechanic, a new uh, modular system in this uh, this particular Kickstarter. I believe it's the uh, uh, conquest or mass, uh, the, the, new, the conquest mechanic. I just found yeah. the uh, highlighted bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that plays off of, so the core bag manual includes rules for running like a big battle. So if you're, you know, with 100 divisions of this group or whatever, going to fight these other guys, instead of having to play from like the first person perspective, the system allows you to kind of zoom out and see that play out. Um, and then with this particular setting in early empires, you know, war was such a huge deal. You see Joshua's campaign taking things over, like Tutmos the third had huge campaigns. Um, uh, was Muatawa the third, I think was the Hittite king, um, all kinds of major campaigns. And so I wanted people to be able to play that out. And so the cities are designed, the maps there's one version of the map that's just all the locations and all of the, the things that make up the city. And there's another one that breaks it down into battle sectors. 
And so if you are playing with one of those mass battle mechanics, it lets you further break it down into fighting for the different divisions of the city. And it kind of makes you follow the routes that would have been with like the walls and the landmarks that they had. And so you can play out that defender attacker mechanic of like the cities getting taken, um, which hopefully will be fun if people want to play through, you know, some of those warfare mechanics. I had fun with it. I would too. I'm actually, I was, that was the core of my question is I was wondering if this was a mass battle type uh, opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool. Now I will admit I had meant to pick up the uh, uh, bag free edition uh, and kind of thumb through it before we talked. But uh, as I had mentioned to you kind of off camera, my uh, son was ill over the weekend and I didn't uh, really do anything uh, apart from cleaning up after that. So can you tell me a little bit, uh, cause I, I went to the Hoodwinked Games and I found the three main products that you have right now, which if I remember correctly, there was the Bag Core, the Bag uh, Free Edition, and then the uh, Suburb, uh, Suburbville uh, Expansion. Can you tell me a little bit about the Core Edition versus the Core Free and what the difference between those two might be? Yeah, for sure. So the Core Free is just the first module of the full thing. Um, so if you were to read the first chapter of the core free and the first chapter of the whole thing, they'd be identical. Um, so it gives you everything you need to play. You can build a full character um, or a level one character. You can play through all of the necessary mechanics. Um, you know, it's really, it's, it's a full game in and of itself. But if you want to add the magic mechanics, the crafting mechanics, the um, city conquest, things like that, then or not city conquest, that's in early empires, but the battles. Yeah, good size. reason to back it, obviously. Yeah, one of them at least. <laughs> <laughs> um, then, yeah, yeah, then you have to go into the full thing. So it's really there just to kind of let people try it out, or if they just want to try out role-playing games in general, and it's there for them. Um, and yeah, it lets you know exactly what to expect if you want to get the full system. That's exciting. I may, I may have to try that. And the um, the modules themselves. Now, would someone be able to use this uh, early empires document uh, without using the bag base system, or is it is it more firmly rooted in in the bag? You definitely could. Um, you could use most of the information, honestly, because that's most of what the manual is. Is just information. Um, and so you could use all of the lore on the cities, the people groups, the history. Um, you could honestly even draw from the deities a lot because the concept behind the deities really applies to most magic systems for RPGs. Um, the only things that would be harder to use would be the NPCs just because their stat blocks and abilities are built specifically around bags mechanics. Um, but you know our local game store in here shout out to modern explorers guild um they uh market it as something that you can use with any system because you just kind of have to know what stats to fidget with and you can take the character from bag and put it into D D or, or um, gurps or whatever um so it is pretty it might take a little bit of work to use the npcs and the deities but all of the lore all of the maps is perfect <laughs> So yeah, so the it's, it's I, I mention it in part because that was secretly what I was excited about regarding this Kickstarter is because although I had not heard of uh, the bag system, I was very excited about the way this was presented. Uh, you have you had maps and lore and description. It seems like you've done all of the research and kind of compiled it together in a usable format. Um, and so now I don't have to. <laughs> exactly. Well. Trying to save you some headache, which we all know GMs need. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah, especially the uh, us, uh, especially us older ones who uh, don't sleep enough as is. So <laughs> <laughs> now uh, there are uh, a there are six different reward tiers, as I understand it. Uh, the the lowest uh, being a backer credit, uh, the, the one dollar thank you for donating, all the way up to thirty five dollars, and the. Uh, this is information for anybody who may be listening. Uh, our tier two, you get the uh, $5 is the Early Empires PDF. So everything that we've talked about so far 
you have access to at, at that price point. And then as you go up, you can get print copies, uh, you can get PDF copies of this and the bag system and our zombie suburbs, I believe. Did you throw that in there? Uh, I think the PDF is thrown in there. Yes, I don't... it is. Yep, here it is, tier yeah. three. So I think I think I'm in there somewhere. But so I'm I'm not going to go through all six of them. I'm not going to steal your thunder. Uh, but uh, for you for you the listeners at home, uh, low price of entry and uh, you get a whole lot of it, especially if you're interested in the. Uh, biblical period, the Old Testament uh, role playing, and if you're interested in the uh, the Bronze Age mm-hmm. and uh, how how they saw through the world, so are you seeing? I uh, know the are you seeing the same kind of international engagement on this one that you did for the uh, the bag go live? Yeah, I'm frankly really surprised, but yeah, some of our first backers were from Australia. Um, that's actually our second biggest represented company or country. I think we have five people from Australia. Um, we have two people from Israel, which kind of puts the pressure on. I hope it gets the history right. Um, we've had people. Pick up uh, the manual. From... I can see my house from here. <laughs> well, at, okay, you laugh. Actually, this is a little tangential, but you'd be surprised how many of the cities I looked at that are still cities or that cities have been built on top of them. Um, so. Kind oh, of. I, I believe oh. you. I'd, I'd run to the uh, the cabinet and back. My aunt uh, went to Israel on a, uh, not a pilgrimage trip, but, you know, it was, it was a church trip. And she came back yeah. with uh, Jordan River water in a little uh, cross-shaped vial that we have sitting on the uh, the the cabinet so what wasn't sure what to do with it but it's uh we now have jordan river uh jordan river water uh and a couple t-shirts for the boys (laughs) very cool but yeah but i interrupted you you had some australians you had uh, and the australians make sense because really it's already tomorrow there today so they must have they must have gotten wind of the kickstarter early at least 24 hours uh just that's that's science that's time zones so, but... Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, there's been a, a good showing too in uh, Eastern Europe. Um, we've had a, a good number of people, um, I think, from what Czech Republic, um, Hungary. There's been a couple. Um, we're actually blessed to be working on a partnership with a Hungarian publisher right now, um, Rollins Publishing over there, that's hoping to translate Bag and then republish it in Hungarian. So they're working on building a community over there right now. Um, Ireland's been a big one. Um, one of our best supporters, honestly, most interactive supporters, has been from Ireland. Um, so yeah, there's been a, a good turnout. It's just really encouraging, frankly. <laughs> and and you're officially treating the uh, Eastern Europe better than uh, our D and D overlords, uh, Wizards of the Coast. Uh, recently, in the uh, old school news, I guess, or the RPG news, uh, stop me if you've heard of this. Uh, there they had worked with a Hungarian company to produce a fifth edition translation, but due to uh, hiccups in ro- uh, royalty negotiations with one of their other international partners, Wizards of the Coast actually kind of reneged on that promise. So there 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 was a Hungarian specific, specifically in Hungarian, uh, the translation was made, printed, and was ready to go but is now languishing in a warehouse because Wizards uh, rescinded the rights. So you heard it here okay. first. Uh, Hoodwinked Games loves Hungary much more than those uh, those fat cats on the coast. <laughs> hey, we try and do everybody justice. That's, <laughs> that's all I can say. Especially because they're the only ones interested at this point, but it's mm-hmm. been a blessing working with them, that's for sure. Yep. So you have at least one uh, backer in Florida, and that was me, uh, and that's a U.S. Mm. East Coast. Uh, then... I did. I did take a look uh, at the map uh, of the Hoodwinks Ga- Hoodwinked Games website, where you had the highlighted where some of the communities are springing up. And I've de- uh, I've decided you need some marketing in Kazakhstan. Why is that? Because Kazakhstan provides that nice little interlude between Oceania and Eastern Europe. And then once we once we can get a community going up there, the sun will never set on the Hoodwinked Empire. <laughs> I like this plan. I like this plan. We're gonna have to work on that. Yep, and we'll find a way to distribute it because I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure there are a couple cities in Kazakhstan that actually do have internet compared to uh, uh, compared to the surrounding mountain area, which has essentially sheep, <laughs> if I remember correctly. <laughs> but 
I digress. I will stop uh, exhibiting my uh, ignorance in international politics, and uh, we'll, we'll double back a little bit to you. Now, you mentioned that, and this is uh, straight up on the Hoodwinked game page, uh, you put this in the Kickstarter right off the rip, that you are a man of faith, you are a Christian uh, author and writer, or a Christian creator, uh, and that it, it this story, this supplement is told from a Christian perspective. Can you speak to a little bit about how that uh, influenced, uh, the per what is that perspective? How does it influence uh, the, the writing and the presentation? Yeah, so early empires um, isn't really told from any particular, you know, person's perspective. It's not really like first person. It's, it is more of just kind of information, but it's told from the understanding of the period, which I think, you know, I think is the biblical understanding of the period. And therefore, I believe, you know, just from my own research and convictions, that it is the true understanding of the period. Um, there are all of these people groups, and most of them are vying with each other. And most of them are vying with each other because of what they believe their deities are really telling them to do or the day-to-day -day life that kind of stems from the following of their deities. Um, and the clearest example of that, obviously, is the Israelites who are explicitly told, leave Egypt, go to this land, conquer these people, and for most of these people, kill them all. Um, and that's a big pill to swallow and kind of a big thing to look at in this game. And so um, from the research that I've done, you know, as a Christian trying to understand God and, you know, his character as someone who claims to follow him, um, it is important to me to get that right. And so what that ultimately came down to in the game is that the setting is um, there are these nations that are just living in debauchery. Like if you look at what the deities of these pagan kingdoms called for, it was a horrible life of um of self-harm of abuse um often like sexual abuse physical abuse um child abuse it was this kind of like desperate existence where you would be sacrificing and you would be praying and you would be you know doing this stuff just to try and hope that your crops would grow and that your people wouldn't die and a lot of people would look at god you know yahweh and be like well he did the exact same thing and what the manual tries to show is how the perspectives were really different and are really different. Where with Yahweh, the Israelites are told to make these sacrifices and to keep these rituals that look really excessive. But it's done because God is trying to show them that there's a better way than what the nations around them are doing. And that there is a holy and perfect order that comes just from God. And he is trying to draw this sharp divide of what the path he is leading them on and the path that every other deity offers. And so these conquests that they have and these strict standards that they have is not to deprive themselves and therefore, you know, blow up the ego of God. It's more God is entering into this covenant with them to show them that there is a better way, that they can be happy, healthy, and successful in him. And it's a way that none of the other deities are willing to show. And that plays out through this cosmic war because Yahweh is leading them on this path into Canaan. It's a land that's already in the steadfast grip of these deities that offer all kinds of sensual offerings that ultimately lead to destruction. And uh, those that's the, that's the worldview that all of the details, all of the history, all of the archaeology goes through. Um, and it doesn't come up super often in the book. So, you know, if you're not into that, you don't have to be. Um, but that's the meta-narrative that it goes with. And you don't necessarily have to, you can set it during the 40 years, presumably. So, mm -hmm. so, Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, for my... Uh, my uh, my audience is very well read, of course, so they know what we're talking about. But just in case, that's the period around which Moses leads the Israelites off around the Sinai, and uh, so you can set it then if you want to, if you're you're desperate to, uh, desperate to fit into your fedora. So <laughs> that's that's a little that's a little mean, though. I will say the the majority of my uh, I'd say a good a plurality of my listenership will share that faith, uh, but. A, a good majority of my listenership will uh, will also not. But at the same time, we, we recently came off of a uh, uh, 
several podcast back and forth series talking about religion in RPGs and how do you handle that. And there were a lot of people who uh, were uncomfortable incorporating real world religions into RPGs, uh, just uh, partially out of respect, partially out of uh, representation. And I think that's it's interesting that w- what you're talking about now, you're, the, the research you've done, the, the work you've put into it, and the way you're trying to present it from, uh, from how you've described it, to try to keep it respectful and create an RPG supplement that y- someone can use to their ends. If you want to run a Hittite campaign, you can. If you want to run a biblical narrative uh, as an educational tool, you can. And and mm-hmm. that's the that's what really excited me the most about this um, this particular Kickstarter. So that and the other two things that leading up to this point in the conversation that I said excited me most about this Kickstarter. So. <laughs> If you don't mind me asking a question, I'm I'm just curious. What conclusion did you come to about um about faith in games? Because I think that is a really difficult thing to tackle, um, particularly when you are trying to be historical. You know, if I was trying to run a campaign with pretty much any other religion, hmm. I'd be very I'd be very shy from it just because I do want to respect it and, and you know show it the historical and and spiritual accuracy. Um, so yeah, what what did you guys find? So what <clears throat> well, what I found uh, for for my personal campaign, what I what I do is I will take elements out of dead religions uh, or uh, archaic religions and incorporate them uh, as my own kind of spin. So I can't be too historically faithful because that requires more res- uh, more time and more research than I'm able to put into it anymore and I don't want to be too close to reality because then I don't have as much license to wiggle um, but mm-hmm. a, a buddy of mine uh, as, as a buddy of mine Joey put it um, most people don't know anything about pre-christian religions so if you pick something from pre uh, from before the Christian epoch then you pretty much have free license to do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> but that's there's it. some truth to that yep. I guess yep very much so and so uh, some other folks had mentioned they didn't want to incorporate uh, the the Christian God uh, because uh, to, to quote uh, he'd blow him out of the water and this has come uh, that that one came from a uh, more an evangelical type uh, who's actually up your way believe it or not uh, one of my buddies mm-hmm. who podcasts uh, out of uh Lord, I, I forget where, but they they live in Michigan and they podcast out of Michigan, um, and the so from where, from where he was coming from, if you put a real God into an RPG, then it would throw off the balance, and he's, mm-hmm. he, that was his uh, his Christian perspective, but also mm-hmm. that's in line with some of the original Appendix N material. Uh, Appendix N being part of the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons first edition, where uh, the author suggested reading material. Uh, you should go read this if you want to get what this game is trying to accomplish. Uh, so, uh, namely, uh, a line comes to mind out of uh, Paul Anderson's The Broken Sword exquisite book. I really recommend it to anyone who's interested in reading. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't feel like you're reading a book. It feels like you're sitting around a campfire hearing a scald chant the story to you as the snowflakes slowly melt on your nose. Uh, it's a very well-written book, but what he, in line with that, uh, the, the juxtaposition of chaos and law is you have all of these pagan... It's, it's not about, it's not about uh, behaving in a certain personality litmus. It's about the old ways being usurped by the new ones. And there's a there's a seminal scene in that book. So spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't read the book, there's a seminal scene in there where a witch is doing uh, a deal with uh, with the devil to try to curse uh, some of her adversaries. And he, t- in, 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 in advising her that uh, to invoke the the, to invoke the powers to do what she needs, she uh, he specifies the the white Christ who comes and would wipe out that which came before. So that kind of uh, progression 
of <clears throat> one way of life being overrun by one of the others that's precedented in the literature and so i've kind of deviated significantly from what your question was uh, but i tend to do that when i haven't slept very well <laughs> understandable <laughs> but i think the i think the end game uh, the end game there was that uh, your mileage may vary uh, so mm -hmm. i'm i will not put uh real uh live religions in my games um because i don't want to uh I don't want to be disrespectful to them, um, and I also don't want to be bound to by reality. I like I like changing things, uh, but also at the same time, um, there are a lot of folks out there who absolutely will. There's a couple big Kickstarters, uh, Seven Voyagers, uh, I believe, or Seven Voyages was one that we talked about, where this uh, set, this set it was a setting, and it had all manner of different. Uh, real world analogs you had your your muslim analog uh culture you had your christian analog culture you had your uh your uh, hindu analog culture and then they, they in your arabic uh analog cultures and so and that works were for them it worked for their campaigns it but again your mileage may vary and so the the at the end of the day inclusion of religions or religion in and of itself as part of a campaign world fits into the bag aesthetic. Why is that? Mm -hmm. It's modular. You take the pieces that work for your table and you put, a, you put those pieces in place. Because at the end of the day, the game is about creating the experience together. And if you use the tools that your table is comfortable and skilled with, then you're going to make a much better experience along the way. Well said. Yeah. Well said. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's the key. I keep rambling until I get something good and then I stop myself. <laughs> <laughs> so that um let's see, that goes through a, a pretty much uh, all of the question points that I had. Um uh, that goes through a bunch of the stuff in the Kickstarter. Uh, I will, uh, for all of you listeners uh, or watchers, I will put the link to this Kickstarter in the show notes. And this runs until uh, the 20th, I believe. It's the 20th? I think, I think it's the 25th. 25th. Oh, man, I have plenty of time. Yep, we have 15 days to go, uh, according to this exact moment. So you have, uh, I'm going to... I'm going to do my best to get this episode out this Wednesday. I'm going to say the date out loud so that I can uh, get, I'm going to try to get out Wednesday the 11th. And so as of the, uh, as of the drop of this episode, you will have another two weeks to get in on this Kickstarter. And I really recommend you check it out. Uh, see if this is the kind of resource that you'd be interested in having, uh, if, if only for the history. Uh, and if only for the perspective and the opportunity to plug it into your game. And so we've gone through as much as I had planned. Uh, so I will leave the floor to you. If you have anything you'd like to, to speak up on, anything you'd like to leave the listener with this evening, uh, the last word is yours. Oh, thank you. Well, I mean, it's just been great talking with you, uh, I guess. If I could just leave a final word with anybody, um, it would just be, you know, give us a chance. You know, I, I'm, I'm a college guy. I'm kind of launching in a different direction for RPGs a little bit. Um, I have a lot of respect for the games that are out there and the gamers and their experience. And really, I just want to create something awesome. And I think this Kickstarter is something pretty cool. And you can find out for, um, yeah, $5. And if that's really not your thing, but you're still interested, uh, I encourage you to check out our website, hoodwinkgaming.com. Um, and subscribe to our email list. We'll only talk to you when we have something to say. Um, so yeah, we'll let you know on what other projects we're interested in. And we really do listen to feedback. So if you have any game ideas or anything you'd like to see, um, we'd love to work with you on it. Or I guess I should say I'd love to work with you on it. Um, and uh, yeah, so I hope I hope we can add even just a little bit to your table and give you a good time. Right, and uh, well said right back at you. And here at Cleric Square Ringrail, we try to support the little guy. Thank you, Josiah, very much uh, for coming on the show. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks. Pleasure was all mine.
The Clickswear Ringmail podcast is an independently owned and operated product, released for educational and informative purposes under the Totally Steal This license, which is kind of like Creative Commons, except f- licensing. Segments recorded within a vehicle are recorded using a Bluetooth hands-free device in conjunction with local vehicular safety legislation. The music for the Clickswear Ringmail podcast is Gold Coffee by Michael Ramirez C, retrieved from Mixkit.co and used under the Mixkit royalty-free music license. Sound effects used in the Clickswear Ringmail podcast are also retrieved from Mixkit.co and used in accordance with the Mixkit-free sound effects license. Clickswear Ringmail does not ascribe to nor endorse views or opinions expressed by call-ins, guests, or even the host, unless you think they're awesome, and thus does not assume any liability regarding the consumption or distribution of this podcast. By listening to the Clickswear Ringmail podcast, you agree to these provided terms. Parties with questions regarding these terms, conditions, or releases are encouraged to reach out to Clearswear Ringmail at the prescribed methods provided on the Clearswear Ringmail blog. Parties dissatisfied with these terms, conditions, or releases are encouraged to go suck an egg.